0: Welcome to the Federal Executive Forum Series on Federal News Network. Proudly celebrating 16 years. Here's your host, Luke McCormack.
1: Good afternoon and welcome to this month's show. I'm Luke McCormack. During today's show, we will discuss progress being made in cloud computing programs within the Department of Defense and Homeland Security agencies. With me on today's show are Paul Puckett, Director, Enterprise Cloud Management Agency, U.S. Army, John Hale, Chief of Product Implementation for the Hosting and Compute Center, Defense Information Systems Agency. Richard Clark, Chief Technology Officer, Immigrations and Customs Enforcement. Matthew Chiotti, Chief Security Officer, Public Cloud, Palo Alto Networks. Stephen Moon, Principal Data Platform Architect, Office of the Field CTO at Snowflake. And Aaron Kinworthy, Area VP, Federal Service Now. Well, we're talking about a very uh, important subject, a very active subject. Paul, we're gonna start with you. I understand you all got promoted from uh, an office recently to an agency, a lot going on over there. Give us a state of the state. Yeah, absolutely, Luke, thanks for
2: having me on. Uh, so as part of the Enterprise Cloud Management Agency, uh, as uh, most of you know here, but uh, for others that are you know relatively new, uh, we're responsible for both creating the strategy as well as the implementation and delivery of the Army's new modern approach to adopting cloud computing. Uh, We've had a number of different swings at that in the past, Um, but really we weren't leaning in and changing the way that we organize ourselves, nor were we looking at the way that we do business. Uh, So over the course of the last two years, uh, the ECMO, uh, as it was first founded, the uh, cloud management office, uh, essentially leaned in and started delivering not only a strategy, but also services uh, to accelerate the Army's adoption of cloud. And with us adopting, you know, delivering services and and what that meant for the army, we were once part of the chief information office officially as part of one of their directorates. Mm -hmm. But we had to switch into a field operating agency because we started to step out of the role of just policy and governance that's typically appended to the CIO and started delivering services and capability. And so by becoming a field operating agency that reports to the CIO, now we've got the full spectrum of uh, essentially authorities when it comes to not only ideating around what should be done across the Army when it comes to cloud, but also executing and delivering services. Uh, when we first leaned in, uh, we partnered with the Office of Business Transformation. Uh, they had a major move to uh, start to modernize the uh, ERPs that run a lot of the logistics uh, in business for how we do the Army. And so we had a major press uh, to move those capabilities into the cloud, and that was kind of the first mover. Uh, from then, we've seen capabilities across every single ACOM Uh, and nearly every single down trace across the ASCCs and the DRUs uh, start to identify critical systems that they believe could benefit from moving to the cloud and start to uh, accelerate uh, capabilities uh, in the cloud. Uh, It's really started this journey of uh, a new realization of how we could be doing business. Uh, I just recently got back from uh, nine days of travel uh, and essentially I was running across the entire Pacific from Washington State to Hawaii all the way out to Guam and the entire narrative was how can we start to deliver mission command capabilities as a service. Uh, typically in the Army, we think about delivering capabilities as a massive fielding challenge. And so oftentimes when everyone gets their own kit, that becomes you know, sometimes a multi-year initiative. But now with the delivery of online on-demand compute and storage resources, we can now fundamentally reimagine the way that we deliver capabilities all the way to the tactical warfighter. Uh, and we believe that there's immense value in leaning in and delivering mission command as a service. And now having a persistent online ecosystem that allows for the ad hoc nature of exercises uh, and experimentation across the Army, uh, but to be able to dramatically reduce the fielding time uh, from years all the way down to minutes, uh, and then also the operational lead time from months all the way down to uh, simply, I think our latest goal here is around 30 minutes there. so it just fundamentally changes the way we think that we can do business. And then also now how we organize ourselves to deliver those types of capabilities. Uh, So definitely a lot going on in 22, our goal is to really scale uh, the value of cloud computing across the army. And so we're starting to see those ideas start to pop up and change of, wait, what could I be doing differently? Uh, And not only the way we organize, but then also the way that we design these systems to now work as a distributed ecosystem uh, rather than these isolated fixed resources that we're typically accustomed to in, a, in, in the past. And, uh, so we're really excited for where 22 is going to go, especially in the context of scale, uh, but also then just the different way that we can possibly do business to dramatically lower the cost of doing business, but also increase capabilities uh, and value that we can have to the warfighter.
1: Right. And uh, time to market, so to speak, that consumption model, it seems like uh, configuring yourself as an agency came just in time. John, how about at DISA? You all deal with all the services. You've got a, quite a portfolio there. Give us uh, an update on uh, sort of what's happening in the cloud computing. Well, so uh, across so you it-
3: yeah, so as you did your introduction, it was kind of interesting. Uh, so hearing my my title is, is a little different now than what it has been in the past. So one of the things we did at DISA was uh, uh, over the last year, we've actually combined the Cloud Computing Program Office out of the DOD CIO, the cloud services organization within DISA, and our, our traditional ecosystem, our data centers, into one organization, which is you know, now the Hosting and, and Compute Center. Um, and the idea there is is to take the, take the prospect of, of hosting a one step further you know the answer isn't traditional compute the answer isn't cloud the answer isn't it isn't any one thing it, it's traditionally been a hybrid within the department of, of crossing those boundaries between cloud and traditional compute so what we've done is we've, we've taken all those assets and put them into one organization now under one leader who can who can now guide that as far as as far as the DISA goes um So so we have the ability to really focus on the hybrid side of of compute, which is where we see a lot of a lot of uh, the compute within the department going specifically at the tactical edge Uh, is a big focus right now uh, on the tactical edge. You know, Paul just said he was out at at Guam. Uh, Indopaycom, from a COCOM perspective, uh, has put in formal requests to get. Uh, both edge compute and 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 cloud capabilities deployed into their theater. We've gotten the same request from Africom, uh, and so the big push now is how do we answer the the compute needs and the cloud capability needs uh, to the to the tactical edge and to the warfighter. So that's where a lot of our focus is right now, and that's that's really what we're 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 kind of zeroing in on this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, good acknowledgement uh, about uh, cloud. Sort of the definition of cloud. It's not sort of just a. a a thing out there. It's really a definition of a a, a model, a consumption model of which there's a lot of different technologies that have been introduced now to allow you to do these hybrid capabilities and get that uh, sort of uh, capability to the folks uh, on the ground. Richard, how about over at uh, Immigration and Customs Enforcement, you all uh, shot out of the the box like a, a rocket and very aggressively moved some very sensitive things I might add into the cloud environment, give us an update as to where you all are at this
0: point. Thanks for having me, Luke. Um, as you mentioned, uh, n- not everybody knows, we were the recipients of a uh, um, getting squeezed out of the DHS data center. So um, we took advantage of the, our uh, SecDevOps practice that we had going on and we went full in on the cloud with all of our enterprise ops a number of years ago. Um, So, because we had a very abbreviated timeline in order to get into the cloud, we predominantly had to do a lift and shift. Mm -hmm. So when we talk about our cloud um, programs today, it is really about um, taking advantage of additional services and the cloud native services to take away those single points of failure that we may have brought to the cloud with us because of the rapid timeline in which we got there. Um, you know, there's also continuously new features that the cloud service providers are offering um, in, the, in the government regions that we want to take advantage of in order to reduce cost or improve resiliency of the implementation. Um, we're also at the point now where we're taking a lot of our um, colo uh, points of presence and even our field office location information and also moving that into the cloud, mm-hmm. um, which was not part of the enterprise shift that we completed a number of years ago. So you know, continuous improvement on our SecDevOps practice, which really helps us get into the cloud faster and continuous pursuit of excellence for these individual programs to make certain that they're taking advantage of all the capabilities that the cloud can offer is, is really where we're looking at growing um, and extending our cloud um, ecosystem at ICE.
1: Yeah, real good catch there with uh, sort of post-lift and shift and now unlocking all this capability that's available in these new technologies that are being offered. Matt, how about at Palo Alto Networks? Uh, There's there's no way any agency, any uh, service element at DOD can do this without uh, great partnerships from folks like Palo Alto enabling and
4: unlocking these capabilities. Absolutely, Luke. Yeah, we're seeing across all of our federal customers just a real uh, demand and a desire to better secure those operations as they move into the cloud, whether they're purely 100% 100% cloud or whether they're, they're hybrid as some have mentioned here. Um, you know obviously in the wake of what happened with solar winds and the casilla breaches, I think specific to cloud, there is a great desire to move toward things like zero trust. right We obviously know there was the uh, presidential directive that came out, uh, also some things with NIST. And so I think although you know perhaps in previous years, there was a lot of talk around zero trust. The Casia and SolarWinds breaches really made that a reality, and we're starting to see customers get very serious about that in the federal space. Specifically, when it comes to cloud, because I think as Rich just mentioned, you know, the first wave of migrations to the cloud really were primarily um, categorized around lift and shift. But as applications become more modern and they become more cloud native, there is a, a real uh, need based upon even some of the throughout research that we've done to make sure. That those cloud native supply chains are secure. Yeah, you know
1: there's no question about it. That uh, as we move into these environments, and, and again, undoubtedly, it's not just a pure lift and shift. There's always this blend, this this hybrid environment. You know that that sort of risk service, that attack surface gets a lot more complicated. So uh, undoubtedly, um, those things are being accounted for as those decisions are being made. Steve, how about it, Snowflake? You're just assuming. Uh, at at some point that all of this is kind of coming together. And now uh, all of a sudden you want to take advantage of all this wealth and uh, dearth of data that's available and uh, enter Snowflake.
5: Yeah. Yeah. So I think one of the biggest things I'm seeing though, just in general is the the advent of a lot of companies building on the cloud, right? You've got to have the first iteration of you know, cloud service providers. Now you're seeing a lot of companies build on the cloud, right? So, you know, Snowflake's some of those companies, native, you know, born in the cloud, um, you know, cloud agnostic and all that stuff. But, you know, we are a data platform company, a data cloud company. And so one of the interesting things we're seeing a lot of traction in is actually in uh, data, se- data security. Not, there's obviously security of the data, but there's also data uh, security data itself, right? So I'm collecting data from the edge, I'm collecting IoT data logs, all these things. Um, and how do I share that in a secure way? Um, how do I allow other agencies to access that data in a secure way while maintaining ownership of that data? Um, and so you hear terms around like data mesh and all these things, but really, really, what a lot of uh, agencies are really asking for is how do we how do we share that data, maintain ownership of that data, um, but provide value, allow others to derive value out of that data? Uh, and so that's probably one of the the probably one of the most conversations I'm having honestly, within the last several months is around, um, you know, we we're talking about next gen sims, um, you know, user behavior analytics and things like that, that, um, you know, it's, it's great that you're collecting that within your own agency, within your own department, but the, the real value is being able to see trends across. Um, and that's one of the things the cloud is enables, um, but it also, you know, having a singular point for all of that data to be converged in a way that, you can still manage it within your own agency, but you're also able to share that data in a way that's secure. Uh, and so that's one of the, probably the, the biggest trend I'm seeing in the, in the government. Um, and that kind of hits on, you know, some of the stuff that happens with winds, and, you know, uh, agencies are realizing they're gonna have to take a different approach to that. And so, you know, it's Snowflake, obviously being a data platform, it kind of lends itself very well to be able to do all that because it handles all those different types of data coming in, allows a single security model and all those things. But that actually dovetails back into my original statement about companies building on the cloud, you know, and, and the government's, uh, you know, willingness to, to use more SaaS type, you know, move from, you know, infrastructure as a service, to platform into the SaaS model. Um, and really what that allows the government to do is to add value, right? They don't, they don't necessarily have to do all this stuff behind the scenes that, you know, they can add value to their domain expertise, you know, whether that's, you know, you know immigration and customs enforcement, Um, security or whatnot. So that's, those are probably the two biggest things I'm seeing that are uh, starting to accelerate within the federal government.
1: No doubt. Every, uh, every uh, agent, every soldier, every officer deserves uh, uh, more capability that uh, uh, one is secure and they can rely on and depend on the integrity. Zero trust architecture being a big part of that. Well, thinking and talking about SAS, uh, Aaron, how about over at ServiceNow? You all, once again, not completely a cloud play, right? You can you can do on prem as I understand, uh, but certainly uh, uh, taking advantage of that that sort of up the value chain capability.
6: Yeah, thanks for having me, Luke. You know, has had hyper growth in the federal space, and it's been really exciting to see the evolution uh, that's happened over the last ten, you know, fifteen years. Uh, what ServiceNow is doing from a progressive standpoint is really listening to the next generation. People are accustomed to a certain level of service and automation in their regular lives. And as a government agencies evolve, we have to respond to that. And there's still a gap that needs to be closed. And as our uh, famous CEO, Bill McDermott, will say, nobody has to lose for service now to win. And that's really attributed to the architecture being in the cloud and that we can play nicely with others. But the scalability that can be done across the globe, the rollout that's able to be done and the mobility that can be used is really answering to that next generation that we've been listening to. And it boils down to really three simple things. Uh, Paul, you mentioned mission as a service at the Army. Uh, you know, We're excited to be supporting that and IT moving into more of an OT role, data becoming something that's a currency, that's a value. right? Both our adversaries and ourselves are using data to better our missions. The next is everything is becoming a service. Right, and so we, as government agencies or as uh, enterprise uh, vendors, need to be aware of the service that we're providing people. And you know, you lose and gain constituents based on the quality of your service, and that's extremely important as we evolve into this next century. And the last and the most important, and our CEO says this as well: it's all about the people. Everything we do, regardless of our mission, has truly started to evolve around the people, whether it's the well-being of our soldiers or the well-being of our soldiers' families or the uh, government employees that we have, or the people that we're serving, it really comes down to the person's experience. And so cloud computing has, as you said, put rocket fuel on this and really accelerated the scalability, the mobility that can be done. And it's very exciting to be a part of it.
1: Fantastic. Uh, John, we want to talk about, you You uh, came over the top with a lot of different activities going on over there. Give us, if you will, a specific advan- uh, example of a program that you'd like to highlight where the cloud computing has really enabled some capability.
3: So, uh, so one of the big things we're working on right now is what we call infrastructure as a code. Mm. Um, infrastructure as a code is a program which, uh, which we we took uh, kind of what the cloud service providers were providing as native capabilities uh, and we, we turned it into something that the DOD can leverage um, you know, the old adage is you, you push button, you know, you, you get banana, right? And so the, the, the goal behind infrastructure as a code is to do that from a cloud perspective. So what we've done is we've, we've come up with these, uh, basically a set of automated templates and automated capabilities that a mission partner uh, can go into the cloud and actually push a button and basically get an a, a environment uh, that meets DoD standards. Uh, that uh, directly inherits in the, in the EMAS perspective all of the security controls which the DoD expects. Um, and, and it's basically, we don't like to use the term, but it's basically stigged in a box, right? And mm-hmm. so you get you get a set of servers that are pre-configured uh, and, and and meet all of the DoD security controls necessary. And you actually get to inherit uh, your security controls from, from our packages that exist within the security system. So... To go from, you know, push button to live system, uh, you know, certified and accredited is a much shorter time frame now. Uh, and that's, that's really where we're trying to get at is, you know, the push button, uh, get banana concept. So um, infrastructure as a code is a huge uh, game changer that we see coming forward uh, for our mission partners to be able to build those cloud native applications uh, as we move away from lift and shift.
1: No doubt, especially when you talk about the DevSecOps and time to market, uh, push button, uh, definitely the way to go. Maybe we'll even see if Richard can talk about ATO in a day. We'll see. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network.
7: DISA and DHS recently released best practice guides on hot topics such as zero trust, cloud security, and container hardening to help protect federal agencies from supply chain cyber attacks. Join us as Palo Alto Network's Chief Security Officer of Cloud, Matt Quixote, talks to federal leaders about exciting new best practices for implementing zero trust principles in the cloud.
8: For many government agencies, the question isn't whether to move to the cloud. It's about which services can deploy more efficiently and securely via the cloud to provide the agency with additional capabilities to better serve citizens and employees, often with less internal cost and resources. At ServiceNow, we pledge to improve efficiency and engagement with a single cloud platform. ServiceNow, we make the world of work work better for people.
9: Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision-making at Snowflake.com government. That's Snowflake.com government.
1: Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about cloud computing at uh, the defense environment and at DHS. I'm gonna throw it over to Matt. Uh, We're talking about specific programs that we'd like to highlight. Matt, I'm sure you have a a wealth of those. Give us one that you'd like to highlight that has really, you've seen sort of enable some, some fantastic capability.
4: Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I'll talk about it uh, because of the sensitivity of it, obviously talk about a little bit generically. We'll say this is within, sure. of course. within the DoD. It's about as specific as we'll get. Um, you know, we've worked uh, with this specific agency for a number of years now. And what they've done is, is they've taken a very cloud native approach to how they're developing uh, their applications. And what they've done is they've really standardized around uh, Docker, so with containers and Kubernetes. Mm-hmm. And what they've found is that by taking this, this very modular approach, as I think it was John who mentioned before, you know, heavy use of infrastructure as code, heavy use of containers, they have very much made it so that getting the authorizations and meeting the uh, federal standards those are push button. I love the way John said it: push button, get banana. That is an amazing, simple way to think about it. But we worked with uh, this agency for a time now, and they have been able to move so much, so much quicker. And you know, we've mentioned I think Docker and Kubernetes before, really just how they are pivotal and a key part of cloud native architectures. But you know, an interesting point here is you know one of the teams that I lead at Palo Alto Networks is our Unit 42 uh, cloud threat intelligence team, and they recently published a piece of research where they studied literally hundreds of thousands of uh, third party containers. And what they found is that 96% of those containers deployed in the cloud infrastructure contain known vulnerabilities. 96%. 96%. Wow. So although, you know, containers as a technology, Kubernetes, they are amazing and they allow organizations, they love. They let federal agencies be uh, extremely agile and quick. One thing that organizations have to make sure that they embed is the whole concept of shift left security, where if you have developers that are uh, creating new cloud native applications for you, that you make sure that you are enabling those developers to be able to create those applications securely. A lot of times, Luke, the the security focus doesn't come until the application is already built and it's getting ready to be released into production. Mm -hmm. If you wait to that point in time, you've really given up a lot of the capabilities, again, that John and Paul were talking about, where you, because cloud native applications, they're declarative. That means I can look at the code and I can know exactly what they're gonna do before they're even launched you have an ability to inspect those from a security perspective and find those vulnerabilities and misconfigurations. So we've worked really closely with a number of agencies around doing just that, but we're still fairly early uh, in this game.
1: Frightening statistic there and uh, something that we certainly want to keep an eye on. Paul, uh, you uh, lined a lot of capability uh, for, quite frankly, a very young agency. Uh, give us an example of a specific program that you'd like to... Uh, highlight for the listening audience?
2: Uh, yeah, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll give you a two. Sure. Um, so one, yes, a small agency, pretty young. Um, we've only succeeded with partnerships across the Army. It uh, was kind of the, the key thing coming in is like the only way we're going to be able to do this is to be able to find other people that want to do um, something a little bit different uh, and, and have an impact. Uh, one of those early partners was Army Futures Command, uh, the software factory uh, that stood up. Uh, was an initiative around how do we get soldiers we talked about people being our most important asset but how do we get soldiers who understand uh how the cloud works what the value of software and data is and start to have them start to control a little bit of their future and solve problems uh for soldiers by soldiers Uh, and so a major partnership there where the software factory is now in their second cohort of uh, training soldiers Uh, so they've got already Uh, five product teams that set up from the first cohort and we've got five more product teams coming online here shortly. Um, And we partnered in the creation and utilization of what we call the create environment. But it's essentially it's the Army's first enterprise DevSecOps ecosystem that Mm -hmm. facilitates how people are going to be designing and building and then fielding and then continuously enhancing the value of software in the hands of soldiers uh, in incorporating uh, DevSecOps practices and principles across our development teams uh, our security uh, cyber uh, professionals, as well as our platform operations teams. Uh, and so I, I wanna highlight them, great partner, uh, just simply demonstrating um, just a new way of doing business, but more importantly, just how important it is for us to understand how software and systems uh, shape and change the way that we uh, we can do business. Um, I just wanna pause and just highlight, I'm super thankful for you know Palo Alto on here, for Snowflake on here, as well as ServiceNow, because together you have this focus on security, data, and workflows. And when you talk about combining those three together, they can be absolutely uh, transformational. Uh, The other one I wanna highlight is an initiative born out of uh, 18th Airborne Corps, uh, what many may know as uh, Project Bridgeway, Uh, but a similar kind of effort where uh, forces command wanting to lean in and truly become practitioners of data and services for the way that they solve problems. And that was all born out of a message to me on, on CVR at the time, Uh, from a young captain that said, hey, I don't know if the Army is okay with me messaging you directly, uh, but I want to deliver tactical cloud as a service to the Army. Uh, And that blew up into uh, just amazing transformational change where just recently they ran uh, their Scarlet Dragon ecosystem as part of an online exercise entirely enabled uh, by a cloud capability. Uh, Just fundamentally changed the way that we look at opportunity and changed the way that we do business. So there's there's two for you, Luke, of, of some initiatives I'm really proud of.
1: Uh, amazing. It sounds like the, the, the Delta Force of DevSecOps. Uh, it's pretty incredible and very impressive. Aaron, how about at ServiceNow? I know you have a, a ton of use cases out there that um, uh, you all have been involved in, all this activity that's been going on with COVID, et cetera. Uh, give us an example of one that you'd like to highlight for us.
6: Yeah, I appreciate it, Luke. And, you know, we mentioned people being really the center of where service is driving uh, in cloud computing going forward. So one of our favorite examples, and I'd love to mention today, is uh, what's called ARMA, which is the Army housing uh, application that was built on ServiceNow. You know, this is a, an issue that back in 2019, made it all the way to the uh, floor of Congress, right? Issues with enlisted housing uh, on base and, and just the conditions and the, the ability to or lack of ability to report and the frustration. If you, you, know, you think about it, you, the well-being being of our soldiers extends to our families as well. And so this was a major issue. Uh, very honored to know that ServiceNow was chosen to build an application, not only to de- be deployed globally, which 10 years ago was not capable of doing it in a short order, but we also deployed it in less than three months. So now you have soldiers and their families able to use their mobile devices to take pictures of issues, report the claim. The claims actually get followed up on. Uh, the metrics have been incredible. Thousands of hours are saved. Morale is improved. And, you know, we're just extremely proud to know that we have changed the lives of the servicemen and women that are protecting our country. And it seems small to solve something like that, but it's got such big impact to each individual. That's really been something that, you know, we couldn't be more proud to partner with the Army on. And it's been a big success. No question. I
1: mean, just the, these these I don't want to even call it simple because it's much more comprehensive of that you know. Uh, enabling, uh, you know, some capability in, in uh, whether it's the service member themselves, their families, daily lives is a big deal. Right. Uh, it, it's uh, and I really do uh, appreciate that. Richard, how about an immigration and customs enforcement? You top lined a whole bunch of things there. Give us an example of one thing, one program that you'd like to, uh, to highlight for us.
0: Well, you know, Luke, we have an investigatory data analytics program that is doing uh, a ton of stuff. That I don't think we ever would have come close to being able to do if it was not for our movement into the cloud. Mm. Um, You know, CIO caught wind of an operational unit that was planning on taking a bunch of dilapidated old servers from a closet somewhere and standing up a little skunk's work project down in a field office.
1: Sounds very scary.
0: (laughs) We caught wind of this, and you know, we're able to partner, and they were one of our early. Significant presences in the cloud, and it was really that partnership and um, the work together that we were able to break through on truly a large number of very sensitive data access um, requirements um, by centralizing it, um, by moving it together. You know, as Stephen, uh, as as John talked about earlier, I believe. Um, I'm sorry, no, it was Stephen. with, you know, centralizing the data, making it more available was a capability that um, was lost in a lot of ways. Um, I think this, you know, was huge for us and it really expanded our ability to um, stretch the limits of what we could do um, and provided much greater um, analysis for our users.
1: Yeah, taking advantage of that capability, that technology that's available ensuring the security of it, and then enabling and unlocking that capability to your operators. That sounds like a win-win-win. Stephen, how about at Snowflake? Um, lots of examples there. Give us one that you'd like to highlight.
5: Yeah, probably, probably the most glaring, and this is kind of across federal it really touches everybody, was a lot of the stuff we did with COVID-19 data. Um, you know, very early on, I mean, you think about the, there was a, you know, a lot of collection going on, but not much um, interaction. Uh, because things are happening, you know, real time. Um, and so we were able to set up, you know, through data exchange or, and, and data marketplace concept, you know, uh, being able to allow researchers, um, scientists, you know, pretty much anybody doing it, to share that data, expose that data um, so they could do, you know, research, reporting, analytics against that in, in real time as it was being collected in, in some cases. And so that was kind of a game changer. Like you didn't have to, like, you know, FTP it somewhere, you didn't have to send an email with a spreadsheet and all that stuff, you know, they were just collecting it where they were, and then allowing that data to be accessed. And so as a result of that, we've seen a lot of interest in that capability um, in the federal healthcare space. Um, You know, and frankly, a lot of that uh, kind of bleeds over and you think about, you know, interaction with the states and you know, if you think about, like, I'll use the example, like Medicaid services, for example, you know, every state kind of has their own way of doing it, right? There's not one way of doing it. And then you have CMS and then HHS, And, you know, how do you, how do you, um, you're not going to go into each state and necessarily tell them how to do it, right, necessarily. But what you do need is the data. And so that, that data sharing capability, you know, I, I come back to that theme because that's really the, what the cloud enables in a way that, you know, you, you don't have to do data movement, right? I can still do it in a secure way. Um, but now I can deliver things to the consumer faster, right? And this, a lot of this, these cases, the consumer is the citizen. Uh, But you could think about some of those transposing into things like working with the VA, right? You know, delivering, um, you know, things for veterans. We're coming up on Veterans Day and, you know, Veterans Healthcare, for example, is a way that, you know, some of these capabilities can be transposed over into doing those things um, in rapid succession. But a lot of that was really, you know, a lot of lessons learned from how people were using that as part of like the COVID-19 response to be able to share that data. Um, and so even with the army, for example, um, you know, really any DOD, you know, when you're working with like uh, federally funded research centers or, you know, university federally funded research or university affiliated research, things like that. Um, it's really a, it's really a false force, force multiplier in a way to accelerate, um, you know, during driving the value out of that data. Being able
1: to share it, uh, ensuring that there is a, uh, an architecture, AKA zero trust, so that you can maintain the integrity of it. Extremely powerful. Uh, well, I wanna talk about top priorities. Paul, let's start with you. Uh, no question that you've got some things on the deck. You you touched on 2022. What are those priorities looking like uh, for, the, for this year and the coming year?
2: Yeah, so like uh, John talked about, um, our ability to expand the availability of online, on-demand computing resources globally is really uh, important. Um, understanding data sovereignty laws and some of the constraints that that, uh, that and also the, the law of physics uh, kind of does to us when it comes to uh, access to cloud computing is really important. So understanding our on-premise architecture in context of you know, an off-premise you know, public resource uh, is really important. So I see a lot of 22 focusing on uh, truly what that hybrid architecture looks like and needs to look like for the DoD. Um, and I, I really, I think he understates it, just the value of disreorganizing themselves around the CCPO, the cloud initiative, as well as the on-premise initiative, that all of these resources need to be seen as, as kind of a, a pool of resources when we're starting to dive into the definition there. Um, so I think there's gonna be a lot of that investment, uh, a lot of that collaboration. I also think in the, in the flavor of zero trust, there's gonna be a lot of work across the DoD when we start talking about identities and personas. Uh, not just of people, which I think is the easy one that most people can wrap their heads around, but also the identities of our services, the applications, our data sets—not even, you know, just not just the devices and the users that we're so accustomed to. Because uh, I really don't think that any conversation around zero trust uh, should be happening unless you're also talking about the data itself. Uh, far mm-hmm. too often, I see zero trust focusing on you know people and devices and not caring about non-person entities uh, and, and data, and I, and I think that that's a foul. Uh, So I think there's going to be a lot of work around that. And I also think there's going to be a lot of work around, now, how do we extend kind of this um, software-defined ecosystem from a zero-trust perspective then globally on top of those cloud computing resources? Um, That's where I kind of think the whole entire DoD is going to be focused in. For the Army specifically, uh, we're trying to scale the value of of cloud computing to the total Army. Uh, And so uh, how might we, uh, you know, it's kind of the key question in the sense of, delivering capabilities in a different way, leveraging cloud to its greatest extent. Uh, and we've put a number of enterprise contracts in place, and we've got a few more coming this year uh, that will really, from an acquisition perspective, put key tools into the hands of everyone across the United States Army, uh, and dare I say, across the DoD, uh, when it comes to access to how we buy cloud computing, how we build and secure capabilities within the cloud, and then how we deliver data and services in a fundamentally different way, depending on whatever missionary we're in.
1: Sounds like you're really laying the tracks down there. Going to be a very active 2022. Matt, how about at Palo Alto Networks?
4: Uh, Top priority for you you all this year. Yeah, I would say that, you know, as we look at um, FY22, some of the big things that we're focused on is continuing to educate the, um, you know, all of our customers, commercial and federal, around not only the advantages of moving toward cloud-native applications, but also the fact that, you know, you need to be keenly aware of the risks that uh, they bring. There's always that. Uh, there's always that two-edged sword, right? With opportunity, also comes risk. So that's one of the big things for us, and we we continue to do that uh, through our our threat research, which we publish uh, very regularly. You can see any of that by just going to unit 42paloaltonetworkscom You can see mm-hmm. all that research. Uh, the second piece I would say is is that there I think is still a low sense of awareness around specifically the complexity of cloud-native supply chains. When we, A lot of times we talk about the supply chain, we think in terms of uh, the physical supply chain. And we've certainly talked about that for a number of years. So a big priority for us as we look at 22 is putting together that com- two, two components. So cloud-native supply chain security with also zero trust on it. Right, And as Paul mentioned, any complete zero trust architecture has to take in not only identity, uh, the asset itself, but also the data. So that's a, That is absolutely a key component. So as I mentioned in previous years, it's not that the concept of zero trust is new, right? It's been around for many years, but actually putting that into practice, this is where we're seeing organizations, federal specifically, really looking how they can bring those two together. So those are, those are some, I think, some big focuses for us as we move into 22, both the educational component, as well as helping our customers to implement zero trust around the cloud native supply chain.
1: No doubt 2022 going to be the year of zero trust, if you will, the executive order, I think highlighted it, I think mentioned it 11 times. Um, so uh, going to be a very active year in regards to that. All right, we're going to take a short break and we'll be back in just a moment. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network.
7: DISA and DHS recently released best practice guides on hot topics such as zero trust, cloud security, and container hardening to help protect federal agencies from supply chain cyber attacks. Join us as Palo Alto Network's Chief Security Officer of Cloud, Matt Quixote, talks to federal leaders about exciting new best practices for implementing zero-trust principles in the cloud.
8: For many government agencies, the question isn't whether to move to the cloud. It's about which services can deploy more efficiently and securely via the cloud to provide the agency with additional capabilities to better serve citizens and employees, often with less internal cost and resources. At ServiceNow, we pledge to improve efficiency and engagement with a single cloud platform. ServiceNow, we make the world of work work better for people.
9: Snowflake is the FedRAMP-approved data cloud. Federal agencies require agility and the ability to securely share data within and among organizations and across multiple clouds. With Snowflake, agencies can focus on putting data to use with unlimited scale and speed on the centralized data platform that satisfies the strictest compliance and security requirements. Start your journey toward data-driven decision making at snowflake.com/government. That's snowflake.com/government.
1: Welcome back to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News Network. We're talking about cloud computing at Department of Defense and Department of Homeland Security's two Huge agencies. We're actually talking about priorities. I'm going to throw it over to you, Richard. I'm sure you've got plenty of those. Uh, what are the top priorities for you this year? You
0: know, in particular, as it intersects with cloud computing um, and the technology, some of our um, priorities are really around um, better sharing and partnering, and in particular, sharing without making yet another copy of the data. Right. When, we, you know, when we talk about what's going on at the Southwest border and the need for sharing information from border patrol to enforcement and removals, CIS and Department of State and even the military, um, we're finding that you know, the old ways of doing things aren't cutting it anymore. Um, and we're taking advantage of what we can do in the cloud and with uh, some of these software as a service offerings in order to really um, expedite that processing. Um, you know, We're also interested, the technologist in me is very interested in things like containerization and, and serverless um, because that will continue to provide, bring excellence in our implementations. Um, and as a number of others mentioned, zero trust, uh, because of the, the prevalence that it's taken on, um, you know, I really want to think of zero trust as a, as a mindset change and a journey and not just a destination or things to check off a to-do list. It really needs, like the cloud, it needs to change how we think about doing things. Um, and make certain that it's all baked in as we go um, and not just uh, you know, meeting some metric or checklist that p- gets put down in front of us.
1: Aaron, how about at ServiceNow? Top priorities for you over there.
6: Yeah, thanks Luke and, and Rich, I agree with you. Zero Trust being you know, kind of the, uh, the buzzword of 2022 and critical to everything uh, as a, a common denominator. But to shift from that a little bit just for uh, some other focus areas for ServiceNow, uh, Rich, you mentioned supporting the mission. And what's interesting, you made the comment of where's my data? And, and that's, a, that's a great question because it's a question not only are the government employees and our constituents asking, but also our adversaries. And so knowing that information is a currency and that it, it's something that's of value and getting it into the hands of the right people and protecting it from the hands of the wrong people uh, is gonna be critical as we go forward this year. Uh, the second is COVID taught us anything that uh, things can change on a global scale unexpectedly, very quickly. So low code, no code type of developments. Uh, Paul, you mentioned you know, your software factories as well. Those are gonna be critical successes, uh, not just for this year, but obviously going forward. That, that really is the future. And then we mentioned the, the maximization of value for cloud. You know, We're doing a great job, but we're still, we're using 21st technology like Zoom and ServiceNow platforms, but you can do an interview on Zoom and then go back and still do a manual paper process to hire the person after the interview. And so there's still a lot of evolution that needs to happen, but we're getting close, and it's happening at a very rapid pace. And it's going to be uh, very exciting to bring the service, the people, the data, all into one place.
1: John, how about at DISA, top priorities for you uh, this year and next? So,
3: so, so we have we have a we have a couple of really big priorities. I already talked a little bit about the OCONUS push. Uh, towards you know pushing towards the tactic to pushing cloud connectivity and 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 edge compute towards the tactical edge for the warfighter. Um, you know uh, uh, one of our big focuses is, is JADC2, which is the ultimately combining all of the command and control systems within the department together. We live, we view cloud as a key enabler to making that happen. Um, not necessarily that it's a cloud capability, but we view cloud as a key enabler for making that, that capability happen. So, so down that road, we're, we're doing a couple of things. Uh, we have what's called JWCC, the Joint Warfighter Cloud Contract, uh, which is out uh, being developed right now. And the idea there is it's gonna be the that bulk buying contract where mission partners can leverage to get their cloud computing needs uh, without having to do individual contracts for every service agency at CoCom. Uh, the, uh, the the other thing we're working on is in I hate to piggyback on the zero trust effort, but right, that seems to be worn out as as we get going. But uh, we, we have a project underway called Thunderdome, uh, which is basically a proof of concept of how we can do zero trust, um, you know, in in the department and still meet all of our security requirements. Um, you know, so piggybacking a little bit about about what Matthew and Paul were talking about there, uh, Thunderdome is actually an effort for us to to put those practices into. Into, into play um, and then uh, containers, right? So we've talked a little bit about containers and, and Kubernetes, how that fits into the overall cloud picture from an individual services and a- an agencies perspective. Um, uh, we're actually doing a containers as a service capability that we're launching this year uh, based around Kubernetes where you'll be able to build containers and move them from on-prem to off-prem to commercial cloud to back on-prem uh, to meet your mission needs. Uh, and, and we view, you know, containers as kind of that key enabler for making that transition happen in that hybrid model that I talked about early on.
1: John, if I, if I may, um, I'm going to ask you to just give a layman's definition of containers. People hear containers and they're wondering, are these containers that are in the ocean that are, you know, I'm waiting for my uh, my pressure washer to show up? What, 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 what's a container?
3: Yeah, so when, when we talk about containers, uh, we're talking. I hate to say a, a product name, but we're typically talking about Docker containers in, in the Kubernetes environment um, where you're abstracting uh, the security and the capabilities away from the operating system uh, that's running in the cloud and to a container, which is a standardized box for lack of a better, a logical box that, that runs in the environment uh, that you can run a series of services in. So uh, what most organizations are doing is they're, they're leveraging... Uh, containers for very specialized services. So you have web server containers and you have database containers. Um, and and you you get to kind of plug and play those containers together to create your applications uh, in, in, a, in a kind of streamlined fashion, so.
1: All right, Steven, top priority at Snowflake.
5: Yeah, yeah. So uh, one of the things uh, Paul hit on is really um, top of mind is, is data sovereignty. And that that's something that's going to affect every, not just federal, commercial, because you're seeing a lot of, you know, laws around the globe, you know, affecting data sovereignty, which is a little bit of an anti-pattern in cloud in a lot of ways, right? Um, but you're you're gonna have to deal with that. And so there's also data sovereignty within agencies, within governments, right? You're not necessarily sharing. And so, you know, that that's going back to the data sharing theme, you know, some of the things we're working on are like operationalizing some things like we call data cleaning, right? Being able to um, allow other you know entities within your own organization to do analytics against your data, right? You still own your data, you're not moving your data um, in an anonymized way to give them results, um, without actually having to share that data out. Right. Um, so there, there's some really interesting things going on around that when you, it gets into, you know, the classifications of data and how to do some of these different things, um, levels of anonymization of data. Um, but, but the key is to d- democratize it. It's about democratizing data in a secure way. Right. And so, um, a lot of the stuff that we're doing with, with kind of the concept of data clean rooms, um, and operationalizing that, um, to allow that data democratization, uh, while, you know, maintaining that security boundary is, is really interesting. And I think there's a lot of a lot of opportunities there um, to work with the government to, in some of those respects. I would say the second thing is, you know, enablement of, uh, you know, everybody wants to look at AI and machine learning and stuff, but really that's about the data, right? And, and really operationalizing the way that data products are built so that your, you know, machine learning engineers and logistics, for example, or some other domain doesn't have, you know, is, is able to, you know, Really add value back to the organization, not having to do all of the 80% work we talk about, you know, sure. in, the, in the data wrangling space and all of that. And so, being able to operationalize, building those data products um, for those communities of interest um, is something that's a pretty big focus as well. We've got a lot of you know features um, that are you know currently coming or, or coming out that are really designed to. Um, really enable those communities so that they don't have to do a lot of that work, right? They're able to, to focus on what's, you know, how to return value back to the organization versus non-value added activities.
1: Thank you very much for that. All right. We're going to wrap it up with this last question that we love to, to end with. I'm going to start with you, Aaron, and we're going to talk about the future. You know, let's fast forward two or three years. What's it look like out there? You know, what's the demand signal that's coming into service now? What can we expect to see?
6: Thanks Luke. Yeah, it's the future is bright. So we talked a lot about supporting the mission IT moving over to OT and and the data being part of uh, the the value uh, that's going to be delivering a faster, better, more efficient uh, service, whether it's uh, the the military's mission or um, protecting our, our homeland with DHS. Everything becoming a service really means understanding the people and the non people assets. And how they impact the service and how do we do that in a better manner with more efficient workflow automation artificial intelligence that's been mentioned today uh as our you know ceo bill mcdermott says it's all about the people right so we got to take care of the people the experience that they're having uh the competition that government has with hiring employees from commercial uh the experience that we provide is going to be critical as we are seeing a shift in generations and a, a new group coming on that are used to mobile used to automation uh, and we talked about zero trust being baked into everything. And then r- really it, it's about um, the, the mission, right? How, how are we better enabling our federal agencies to go out there and, uh, you know, provide a better service, albeit whatever their focus is. So in the next couple of years with cloud computing, you're going to see it done on a global scale. It's going to be done at a rapid uh, speed because of low code, no code type of uh, uh, capabilities. And it's going to be a pretty exciting time.
1: Looking forward to that. Thank you, Stephen. How about it, Snowflake? Uh, what's it going to look like? What's that environment going to look like? What's the capability going to be in the next two or three years?
5: Yeah, I think, I think the, the biggest trend kind of building on the opera, opera, operational um, space, apologize for that, um, is seeing a lot of that getting more embedded into the business, into the organization. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, you know, with a lot of these, I mentioned SaaS earlier on in the program, you know, a lot of these, you're, you don't have that traditional IT function. Um, and so like with, you know, i use the example of the product like Snowflake, it's really a no ops product, right? You're not, you don't have to be a database administrator necessarily to use it, right? That's that's the kind of the point of it. And so you're, you're gonna push a lot of um, the operational components of data, for example, closer to the mission, right? We're talking about tactical edge and things like that. We are doing, um, where people are actually supporting the organization um, in
9: technology in a lot
5: of ways is just the enabler of that right and so with a lot of the tech like in the in the direction we're going it's really in that no ops model where you know you just there's not a lot of maintenance overhead right and so it's pushing it closer to you know it's like logistics in the army for example or um you know an an hr function or a mission function or something like that um and so you're going to see um uh, decentralization of some of that right and which actually leads back in kind of the data sharing discussion where now that you're mm-hmm. decentralizing some of that I still need to be able to get at that data where I don't have to move it but I want to democratize it in a secure way um, but I think you're, you're starting to see a, a convergence of a, a lot of the technology within the organization and, and kind of starting to dissipate from say like a central IT for example. Matt
1: um, uh, what's it look like how do you stitch all that together and make sure it's secure?
4: Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, the future for for government services is that they are going to look more like what our major SaaS platforms uh, today look like, ServiceNow's, Prisma Cloud's, uh, Office 365's. And I think the reason that, you know, those SaaS platforms have been so successful is that, you know, they've efficiently met the need of the user and they allow them to do it in a way that's that's secure. Uh, So if you look at what the large SaaS providers today give you, that's really going to be a picture of what we see the movement to cloud to look like specifically for government services. And I think as Paul mentioned, you know, this entire process, is, it's, not really, it's not really just about deploying cool tech, but it's actually modernizing the organizational practices and structures. That's why when I hear about what uh, which is being done in, in DISA with combining different functions, that is really what this whole move is about. It's not just, you know, Kubernetes and, and Docker and all these fun pieces of tech. Certainly they are enablers. Uh, but I think it's actually the organizational uh, change component. And I think as we as you go down that route, we have to remember that you know there will be an increased reliance on uh, third party supply chains. That's just a natural part of this kind of ecosystem. And one one you know interesting anecdote I'll bring up is you know our, our threat researchers, they did a, a hands- on uh, red team exercise about two, three months ago on behalf of a large SaaS provider. And it only took them three days to discover a critical software development flaw that could have exposed the customer to an attack very similar to that of SolarWinds and cassia and So I think you know we've got to keep those types of, of, of risks in mind as well as we, as we go through this, but certainly uh, there are opportunities uh, to utilize cloud native architectures, but at the same time, keeping those risks in mind, to make sure that you have the visibility around that entire cloud native supply chain.
1: Richard, how about an immigration and customs enforcement? If I'm a freshly minted agent or officer coming out of the academy, are you going to hand me a firearm, a badge, and a PDA and say, go off and do important things? Um, how's it going to work in two or three years?
0: Absolutely, um, we're going to do that. Um, mobility is a big part of what we're doing uh, now and looking at in the future. You know, Consistent with a number of the other comments here, uh, of whether it is no ops or, or optimization of services and containerization, you know, we're br- the, the technology is gonna to continue to advance and whether we go to containerization or even serverless, we find we can cut out even more of the supporting infrastructure. You know, one of the things that I think will be interesting is as was also mentioned, I think we need to bring along the additional supporting services, be it acquisitions or security or scaling so that we can, um, get the entire government organized into procuring all of these services by the drink. Um, you know, We're even talking about, well, ha- a lot of our data scientists today have to spend an enormous amount of time setting up their laptop in order to do the work that they want to do. We want them to go to a website and just have it all there contained within the cloud so that we can further reduce any likelihood of breaches. Um, so you know, the optimization and catching up all of these pieces up across the enterprise, I think, is where we're going to go and how we'll ultimately deliver faster to um, our customers or the, the government services.
1: John, how about at You have a daunting task over there. Uh, paint a picture, what's it gonna look like? What's the,
3: what, what's the vision, the intent over the next two to three years? So a, a lot of what I talked about today has been really the, the closest wolf to the sled, which has been focusing on how do we fix infrastructure as a service uh, capabilities in, in the cloud, right? Uh, and when we talk about IaaS, we're talking about things like containers and we're talking about zero trust and and all those kind of functionality that we've talked about. Um, and that, like I said, that's the nearest wolf in the sled and that's what we're really focused on. But when you talk about the future, right? What we really see is is, is to piggyback on what the other guys were talking about is SaaS uh, software as a service is really where we see the department going from an overall cloud perspective. And things like our, our you know, our, our DO's capability at the Defense Enterprise Office Suite, um, you know, throwing, putting out, putting out Office 365 to the entire Department of Defense, um, you know, that's just like the first step, right? And, and as we piggyback on that and continue to roll out more and more capabilities, uh, you know, once again, based on things like ServiceNow and other software-as-a-service providers, um, that's where we see the department going, right? I mean, 10 years ago, uh, you know, the, uh, department leaders would have never thought about trusting commercial mission partners with their data. Uh, in today's world, we have to, right? It's not that we, It's not whether or not we do, it's, it's we have to. We have to move to software-as-a-service to survive in the climate that we're in from a budget perspective. We just can't afford to continue to do business the way that we've done it in the past. Um, and so that's, you know, we talk about the future. Software as a service, I think, is where we're ultimately going to end up. There's still a need for things like infrastructure as a service and platform as a service uh, for certain mission needs and, and, and niche capabilities. Mm-hmm. But I think we're going to see SaaS take over a large part of the compute within a department.
1: Absolutely. Well, speaking of SaaS, Paul, you spoke a lot about it. If you could fast forward with this small but mighty organization of yours, what's it gonna look like? What what do you expect to see? What kind of capabilities can the Army expect in three years from your agency?
2: Um, So I think it's my agency and, right? Uh, We've got a lot of partners and the only way we'll succeed is with those partners. Um, What I see uh, kind of, I'll I'll drop it in three things. Um, First, I think you're gonna see the Army and really the DoD start to lean into delivering mission capabilities as a service like across the entire spectrum. And we're leveraging infrastructure or platform or SaaS uh, to do that um, kind of to a degree irrelevant, but starting to deliver a capability built once that's scalable for many, that many can consume as a service that starts to eat at some of the common things that we do across our business, our intelligence, our enterprise and our warfighting mission areas, uh, I think is gonna be a way that you start to see ourselves start to organize because far too often we're duplicating effort and services across every single one of those verticals uh, and we're wasting a lot of time, but also a lot of money and a lot of a lot of people uh, on those things. And so rather than doing them a thousand different ways, starting to see best practices emerge as like this this way to do business and starting to see that delivered as a service, I think is going to break down some barriers. I think that's going to force us to change the way that we organize, which is the second thing. Um, I, I'm a big fan of looking at the value stream. Everyone that works at the ECMA knows that when we talk, talk about you know great excellence and meeting a customer at the front door of their the beginning of their cloud journey, uh, but they're not able to move through the process, start building in the cloud and delivering capabilities to the soldier, we haven't succeeded. and So my team understands the entire value stream for the product and service that we're delivering. Uh, and so I think you're going to see the Army and really the DoD start to change the way that we organize because we break product life cycles across numerous organizations. When I first came on board, the roles of the ECMA were actually split across eight different organizations, not just within the United States Army. That's just pain for a customer. And so I think we need to start to eliminate that pain and change the way that we organize ourselves. And I think it'll help us visualize that value stream. And then finally, the third, I think you're gonna see leaders start to understand the line between people and technology and how they can leverage technology as a force multiplier for the way that we fight. Far too often in the DoD, we solve problems with hundreds of people that technology has already solved. Uh, We need to stop doing that. Um, Great example uh, across the army, but someone turned to me and said, "Paul." Uh, I had my senior leader turn to me a software developer to solve a problem rather than the hundred of infantry men that they would typically turn to. Wow. Uh, that's that's transformational. I think you're gonna see leadership that start to understand how to lead technology and lead people and see where that line is ever so changing between the two. If we just focus on some technology now, in two to three years, we're gonna be irrelevant because we're still gonna be depending on the way that we used to do business. We have to teach people the why, Uh, of what they're trying to achieve and why they're trying to achieve it, and then understand the different ways of how they can do that with the technology that's emerging at the time. We need to teach leaders to understand that line, uh, not just to understand a specific technology. Uh, And so I think you're going to see a a fundamental change in the way that we promote leadership into the future uh, to lead us into the digital age and then not just thrive within it, uh, but to be the dominant leaders within
1: it. Fantastic and a great way to end our show today. I want to thank all of you for taking the time out of your busy schedules to join us for this program. I'd like to thank our sponsors for supporting us on the show. I'd like to thank the good people here at Federal News Network that make the program so successful and enjoyable. And most of all, we'd like to thank you, the listening audience out there that tune in every month. You're listening to the Federal Executive Forum on Federal News
0: Network. Thank you for listening to the Federal Executive Forum series on Federal News Network. This show was produced by Treza Media Group. If you missed any portion of this show, you can listen to the show in its entirety and on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com.